A big hello to our community of business leaders and welcome to Unleash, the fastest hour on the internet where each episode features insightful guests and important topics, all in the name of growth, growth for you and growth for your business. I'm your host, Jeff Tetz, CEO of Results, where we believe if you can't execute, you're at risk of falling behind the competition and that would be a bad thing. We have a proven framework that's helped thousands of leaders grow their businesses faster over the last 20 years. And I wanna send a special thank you this morning to the folks at David Applin Group for making this episode possible. David Applin Group is a complete recruiting and talent acquisition firm with locations across Canada. And we only partner with firms on this show that, have we, that we've actually worked with ourselves or our clients have. And it's important that we trust the integrity of the people that work there and the quality of their work. And uh, let me tell you, we've worked with David Applin Group extensively through the years and they have found uh, in particular two very talented team members, our practice director, Marie Penn in Vancouver and our Edmonton practice director, Jennifer Olson. And I'll tell you, if we didn't work with David Applin, we never would have found those people. So uh, we'd still be probably struggling to find the right fit in both of those roles. So give those folks a call. They know how to find hard to find talent and get them in front of you. And if you enjoy the show today, I want to thank everybody that's done this in the past. The biggest way for you to grow the audience, if you, if you get benefit and, and value from what you see here, is word of mouth on the internet, on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter. And the biggest question I get asked during the week is, can I invite my colleagues to the show? And I'm shaking my head saying, of course you can. This show is for anybody. So anyone that want, aspires to be a better leader, a better version of themselves tomorrow uh, than, they, uh, than they are today, that's what this is all about. So the more the merrier. Now on with today's show, and I saw this quote yesterday and it seems so fitting for today's episode. And the quote says, people don't buy the best products and services, they buy the ones who communicate the clearest. And I think today's guest is gonna help us understand that even more. The foundation of all business is getting customers to buy from you. Today, we're going to learn a framework of influence that reveals how to become the number one choice in the market. Even if it's a really crowded one, you're going to learn about the power of because. After years as an executive with billion dollar brands, Jerry O'Brien is now a professional speaker and an author, and he's a phenomenal speaker. His power of because framework uh, has helped tens of thousands of CEOs, business owners, and sales teams stand out from the sea of sameness and grow their sales. Jerry began his career in marketing at Procter & Gamble and then was an executive for Coors Light, Quiznos, and Red Robin. He has his MBA from the University of Michigan, and he also spent eight years serving in the military. So Jerry, thank you for your years of service, and thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's so great to speak with you, and I, uh, I was just so excited uh, about today's topic because it's relevant to every single business. Uh, I think uh, the one thing that we can make a safe assumption on is that uh, most business leaders, when they get up in the morning, are thinking about how many customers can I find today, so very, very relevant. And you've uncovered some remarkable insights about why people actually buy what they buy while leading huge marketing campaigns for some pretty large brands. Quiznos, Red Robin, uh, the work at Procter & Gamble, uh, the Coors Light experience that you have is fascinating to me. Can you share with us a little bit about how you started making these discoveries uh, in the first place? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, when you're in marketing, starting out at Procter & Gamble, you're always trying to answer the question, why do people buy this versus that? So when I left Procter & Gamble, I went to uh, move to Colorado to work for Coors Brewing Company. 
And a couple of weeks after I got there, I'm in the office building and the whole uh, marketing department is going to an offsite meeting at a hotel like 10 minutes away. So we're all walking out of the office building and I'm walking out next to the chief marketing officer of Coors Brewing Company. Now keep in mind, this is my boss's 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 boss, the head of the whole marketing department, $4 billion company. We're walking out and he looks at me, he goes, oh, hey, Jerry, hey, uh, why don't you ride over there with me? And I'm thinking, yeah, awesome. Good opportunity to get to know the chief marketing officer of Coors Brewing Company. So we walk out to his car. It's this big, long, super sleek, brand new Mercedes Benz. And I'm thinking, ooh, yeah, successful. And then we're getting in the car and I'm thinking, well, I better uh, ask him something really smart while we're driving over there so I look smart. And so I'm sitting down in the car and I'm ticking through all the questions in my mind. I'm thinking, what should I ask? What should I ask? I'm thinking, what's the most important marketing question of all? So we sit down in the car, he pulls out and I turn to him and I say, Lee, why is it that a consumer chooses to buy one beer versus another beer? And I'm thinking he's about to give me a 10 minute lesson on how people choose and how we as marketers influence them to choose us versus everyone else. Instead, he turns to me and he says, well, geez, Jerry, if I knew the answer to that question, we'd all be rich. And I'm thinking, well, you appear to be rich and you're the head of marketing for a $4 billion beer company and you don't know the answer? So the most important marketing question of all, how do we influence people to buy this versus that? I spent the rest of my career in corporate America trying to figure out the answer to that question. How do we influence people to buy? Because if people at the highest levels really don't know the answer, then we got to figure it out because business owners all across the globe uh, need to understand this stuff. And so uh, I've been a speaker for about 10 years, delivering this framework of influence, showing CEOs across so many different industries, whether it's B2B, B2C, manufacturing, professional services, restaurants, anything in between. How do you influence people to buy this versus that? And that's that's kind of how it started. I was inspired to say, this answer just isn't good enough. How do we make it better? Yeah, well, thankfully for us, uh, you kept down that curiosity path to figure out some of those answers. And, I, and you hit on something that resonates so deeply. And it's like, how, how often do we succeed in sales and marketing uh, despite ourselves? And how much, and but I also think like, how much have we left on the table over the years? How much bigger could we be? How much, uh, how many more customers could we have if we just have sort of understood the actual process that people go through? And I, it's, it's kind of, it's no secret in the last five or six years that uh, there's been this movement towards people buy our why. Right. So, uh, so that's why it was such a paradigm shift. The more I started digging into your content, Jerry, when Ryan Vespi uh, introduced us and you've become uh, renowned for the concept of what's your because, which is a really, really fascinating discovery. And as part of your framework, you have four core questions that you say businesses must answer to get more customers. What are those questions and what's the framework? Well, so you make this good point about your why versus your because, which are two different things. And we'll talk about that later. And what's the differences? What are the pros and cons? Your why is this inspiration. 
behind why you do what you do, which is wonderful, essentially, mostly largely for your employees to be inspired to do why you do what you do every day. But I work with companies in really crowded, really competitive businesses. People that are HVAC installers, people that are attorneys, people that are, I mean, you name it, dentists, people that manufacture molds for industrial use. Here's the reality is that nobody really cares that much about why you became a plumber or why you're in car sales. They care what's in it for them. So your why is a great inspiration, but it doesn't actually close the sale, especially in non-sexy, crowded, competitive businesses that people, where people sell real things to real people. Yeah. So I ask a different question. You should buy from us because, and I want everyone to take a minute right now, if you got a pen, a piece of paper in front of you, I yep. want you to literally write down the ending of this sentence for your customers. If you were talking to a customer, or your salesperson was talking to a customer, or your customer was making a referral to someone else. Oh, you got to buy from them because I want you to write down what you would say next for your business. You should buy from us because literally take a minute and write the ending to this sentence. Now, I want you to look at what you wrote down or what you thought in your mind. Could any of your competitors say the exact same thing that you just wrote down? Could any of your competitors or are any of your competitors saying the same thing? If you go to their website, do they say the same thing that you just wrote down? Because if that's true, you haven't helped me choose you. You've just made me more confused and I don't like to be confused. Yeah. I don't like to be confused. I want to know what's the right choice for me. And I was and, doing the exercise, Jerry, as you yeah. were saying that. And anytime I do this, and because I think a lot about these kinds of things, yeah. and, and uh, we spend time as a team doing this stuff. And anytime I'm drawn into this type of an exercise, I always feel inadequate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like, geez, like we should have it, we, it should be clearer, it should be more obvious. And I'm writing things down like we help make your business um, more predictable, growing your business more predictable. You know, we help remove confusion. And I don't know if that's enough, right? And so. so so Jeff, what you just said is what most people do. They write down something really, really important. Yeah. You just wrote down the outcomes and we'll talk about this in the framework. Yeah. You wrote down what's in it for the, the businesses that you serve. That's yeah. what I get. What you didn't write down was what your brain needs. A piece of proof that you can deliver that differently or better than anyone else. Oh, we're going to make your business stronger. That's because... When we write down only the first part, I call it finishing the sentence of influence. Yeah. When we write down only the thing that's in it for them, but we don't give, us, give them any proof that, about what, what our credibility is, how we do it, our process, our track record, our results, our because, our piece of proof, then our brain is looking for the ending of the sentence of influence. And I'll show you how that works when we talk about the framework today. Um, but I want to just give you a little bit of, of uh, lead in to that. So uh, for hundreds of years, economists have been trying to convince us that uh, all of our decisions, everything that we decide is a rational decision. We you know, run all the math in our head and we make the right call. We make a rational decision, right? Economists, you go to Econ 101, prices go up, demand goes down. Prices go down, demand goes up. But 
for 130 years, marketers have been telling us, no, 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 it's all emotional. We make these emotional decisions, which we know that we do. Have you ever seen a TV commercial that made you laugh or it made you cry? You thought it was so emotional. And then someone, you say, oh, that was such a great ad. It made me laugh. It was so funny. And then someone says, oh, what was the ad for? And you're like, I don't remember, but it was so funny or it was so emotional. That doesn't sell anything either. Emotion for the sake of emotion doesn't actually sell either. So the 2002 Nobel Prize winner in economics was not an economist. He was a psychologist who showed how this actually gets processed in our brain. And what happens is we make these emotional decisions, but our brain, our gut, our subconscious is looking to justify that emotional decision with rational, logical proof that it's a good call. So if we only say, oh, we're gonna make your business stronger, and we don't give your brain that little piece of proof that we've done it before, we've done it for other people, here's some testimonials, here's our track record, here's our process, here's our results. We don't give them that rational piece, our brain is going, it sounds kind of like marketing fluff. It sounds nice and emotional, I want my business to be stronger, but how do you do that? How do I trust you? How do I believe you? Our brain needs that. Otherwise, we don't trust you. We don't believe you. If you've ever had buyer's remorse, what happens is you make an emotional decision, you buy something, and then, and then your gut is looking for proof that it was a good call and it can't find any. And then you're like, five inch television in my basement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get buyer's remorse because you're like, well, did I really need that? Was it really the bright TV? Was it the best call? So here's what happens. Our brain is trying to find some proof that this is important. Everyone listen to this. Your brain is trying to find some proof that you could use to convince someone else that you made a good call, that you could use to convince your spouse, that you could use to convince your brother, your sister. This is a really important one that you could use to convince your neighbor. I was talking to a big group of plumbers one day and we're getting insights about what people care about. And they said they care about price a lot, but it's not just because they wanna pay the least, it's because they wanna to prove to their neighbor they got a good deal. The emotional thing of proving to someone else how smart you are or how good of a decision you make. That is why it's so important to finish the sentence of influence. Oh, I bought from Jeff because, and if we don't give people that little piece of proof, then they don't trust us, they don't believe us, they don't know why they should say yes to us versus everyone else who says the same thing that we say. So that gives you just a little tidbit of how and why this influence framework that we're gonna talk about today, how and why it actually works. Awesome, well, I'm, I'm curious to dive in a little bit more to the framework, Jerry, and understand, like, and I've been trying to go through the four questions even in the last week uh, and answer some of those for our own business. So I'm excited to share those with the viewers today. That's good, that's good. All right, well, let's, should, should I take you through the framework? Yeah, let's go, let's maybe start, uh, yeah, let's start, start from the top and work our way through it. And see where All right, at. so question one, which always gets a lot of attention from people and frustration sometimes from people. Who are your ideal customers? Now, a lot of business owners say, well, you know, anybody with money, right? We can help so many people or we don't wanna limit our focus because we can serve all sorts of customers. Over and over and over, the businesses that I work with, 
the more they narrow their focus, the faster their business grows. The more they get clear on who's perfect for them, the more clear those people become that you are perfect, the perfect business for them. I'm going to give you an example. I love to do this with audiences of executives and CEOs and business owners. And Picture yourself, you're walking into a party and you walk into the party and you meet somebody and you say, oh, you don't know them. So you say, oh, what do you do? And they say, I'm a financial advisor. What do you want to do? Run, get away. Because the next thing they'll be like, hey, we should get coffee. You and I should get coffee. And they're like, no, no, I already have a financial advisor, right? When people start in on, oh, ooh, I'm someone who can help you, we want to back off. Now, there's a financial advisor that I've worked with. He says something different. Let's picture you walk into a party. You say, what do you do? He says, I'm a financial advisor, but I only work with a very specific kind of clients. What are you thinking now? You're thinking, what kind of clients? So instead of leaning back and wanting to excuse yourself, now you're leaning in and wanting to learn more. And we just said the word specificity. We don't even know what he specializes in yet. Now, there's a lot of good answers to this question. In this case, he specializes in self-made millionaires. Okay. And he says, I specialize, I only work with self-made millionaires. I work with a very small number of them. And I'm very adept at helping them navigate this unique transitional period of their life, helping them understand what happens next, how to do it. And I've got a long track record of working with these kinds of folks. Now, you're either thinking, well, I am one, I should probably talk to you. Or, hey, you know what? My aunt just sold her company. It sounds like she really needs to talk to you. We go from wanting to back off to wanting to give referrals because of specificity, because of narrowing who our ideal customers are. And this is especially important in really commoditized, really crowded markets like financial planning or attorneys or, I mean, you don't go to the heart surgeon for knee surgery and you certainly don't go to the knee surgeon for heart surgery because our problems are important. We want someone who specializes in our specific situation. So the more narrow we can get. Now, I work with other financial planners who specialize in university professors, who specialize in police officers, who specialize in all sorts of things. And their businesses grow quickly because they get more referrals. People know who to send you to if you're specialized. So number one, ideal customers. Jerry, I want to I pause there because this, this is such an important part to this process and this and the framework and i just find that it's very difficult for people to let go of this notion that you're going to actually say no to business you're going to stop well oftentimes you look at your portfolio of customers and and you're doing just as much business with people you shouldn't be as you should be that takes a lot of guts and gumption and courage to start saying no to that, that half of your book of business why is it so hard and, and is there is there a right, a right way and a wrong way to, <clears throat> to transition in, in, into that sort of mindset? It's such a good question. This comes up all the time in my, I do like these one day find your because workshops and you just feel this, the, the fear and, you, and people will even talk about it. They're like, Jerry, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then they go back and they do, and they fire a bunch of customers and they come back to me and they're like, Jerry, oh, you won't even believe what happened. We fired these guys. We were so scared and we fired these customers. And then we got the, some more of that. Here's what happens. 
you know, and we all know, and you, all of you on the call can already picture it. There's, you know, the 80, 20 rule or whatever. There's a whole bunch of your customers that are a pain in your butt. You spend a lot of time with them and they're the lowest margin customers. And you don't even like working with them anyway, but you're scared to let them go because they're revenue, because they're, you know, been with you a long time, but you don't even like working with them anyway. And you don't make that much money on them. So the reason people are unwilling to do it is because they're scared of what if I can't find the next customer. But the problem is you're spending many times too much time focused on these customers, not enough time focused on why would the next set of your best, most ideal customers uh, want to buy from you, want to buy from you. You know, think about it from the, the a realtor, real estate perspective. You know, there's lots, we all know lots and lots of people who sell homes. Well, if you wanna be specialized, either specialize in a neighborhood, specialize in a sort of a, a, what I would call a genre of homes, like homes uh, over a million dollars or, 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 or whatever your thing is, or vacation homes, but narrow your focus. And then everyone goes, oh, you got, I gotta call them because they really are gonna be able to help me strategically with my house. They know my neighborhood, they know vacation homes, they know homes of my, whatever. The more you focus, the bigger your business grows over and over. It just, it, it, it creates an explosive situation because everyone now refers you, but it's scary to let go of those $400,000 homes when you want to specialize in million dollar homes. Yeah, very. And I, and you know, and I, I can uh, uh, ascribe to this because it was, it was probably about six years ago, we had an inflection point for our own business where we were, we were working with any mid to large size firm and, and we recognized that we were doing a lot of work that wasn't adding a lot of value. And so that was the tipping point for us. And, and we started to segment the areas of our, the revenue that was growing the fastest, even though our revenue overall was flat. And the epiphany was that this core service that we now have around execution was doubling every year, but it was such a modest number, Jerry, at that time that it kind of went undetected. And we sort of looked at each other as owners and said, we're not going to, we're not going to fire clients, but we're going to stop chasing the stuff that is not the core of what we think we love and what we're good at. And our business took off after that. And so I like, I am drinking your Kool-Aid and, and then some, my cup runneth over Jerry. So uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's keep going on. Like, okay. I you get, so you sort of, so you spend time narrowing uh, your focus and finding out who your ideal customers are. And, uh, and then the second step, I believe, is, is around, you, you need to have some insights about, insights about what you're doing. Right. So, so now you've got these, you've narrowed your focus. You know who these ideal customers are. Another benefit to really narrowing your focus of who these ideal customers are is that you understand them better. If you're trying to understand everybody, it's like impossible, right? But if you're trying to understand only a small set of people, then you understand everything about their life, their business, what they want, what drives them, what they like more of, what they don't like. Um, uh, so I want you to think about for, for insights. I want you, because we'll come back to this later. I'm going to tell you another story about this later during the because section. I'm going to drive it home later. So I want you to think yeah. about insights, the mindset. And when I, when, I, when I say insights, here's what I mean. What do you want more of? from a particular uh, uh, product or service or whatever, what do you want less of? What do you not want? Said another way more powerfully, what do you hope for if you give your money 
to a product or a service or a provider? What are, what are you hoping the outcome will be? And what do you fear? What do you fear the outcome will be if, if I hire them? If I hire this contractor versus that contract contractor? Now, as you think about uh, what you want more of or what you hope for versus what you want less of or what you fear, brain science shows us that we're about twice as motivated to avoid what we don't want as we are to get what we do. What is it that your customers want to avoid? What pitfall do they want to avoid? What are they frustrated about today with their current vendor, their current customer, their current product? That drives insights in your mindset. So we'll do a, a mental exercise here. Okay. I want you to think about going into the auto dealer and buying a car, buying a new car, let's say, or even buying a used car. You go in and Jeff, why don't you do this? What's the experience of buying a car? What, what frustrates you about going in and buying a car? I ask this to my audiences all the time. And typically they say the top, the same three or four things are frustrations. Yeah. So it's a, it's a high pressure sales pitch environment and you never trust that the price is the price. And well, my, I, you know, as I, as I work through it, Jerry, I think my biggest fear is I'm going to drive uh, my vehicle off the lot and I'm going to have uh, dinner with my buddy on Saturday. He's going to tell me he bought the exact same car for a thousand dollars less. And I'm going to feel like, boy, oh boy, if I could take this thing back and shove it, you know, where I, uh, yep. I at dealership with that, uh, that lousy salesman. Yeah. So, so your first big insight is I don't really want to have to negotiate. There's all this yeah. uncertainty around pricing. And you just said what I said earlier. Remember we talked about this. You want to be able to prove to your buddy that you got a good deal. Yeah. I this want the social a, proof. I need social proof. I did a good thing here. Yeah. That's right. You got to be like, Oh, I got the best. I got the best deal because you got to tell your buddy, Oh, I got this great deal. You won't believe this great deal I got. And so, so there's fear around pricing and negotiation. What else do you not like about buying a car? Uh, if, yeah, so buying things that I don't need, the add-ons, the bells and whistles is, a, is, a, is another one. Uh, if it's a used vehicle, it's buying a vehicle that's not going not gonna to work properly. It's going to break down. Uh, yep. those, so those, yeah. What happens when you go in and you're talking to your salesperson and you say, well, you know, instead of 50,000, I'll give you 45. Now what happens? What happens next? Well, then he goes and talks to the manager, uh -huh. the manager and that drives me nuts. Yeah. It drives, it drives me nuts. you crazy. Like, like, and and he does it. Yeah. And I try to watch, try to follow because I'm going to see, does he actually, is he actually going to go and talk to the manager? Is he just going to go to the washroom for a few minutes and the vending machine and twiddle his thumbs and then come back and right. bring some guy that's not even the manager? You know, there's some number in the computer system that says you got to sell this car for this much. So we yeah. get this much margin or whatever. Right. Yeah. So they go back, they're making this whole thing. And this happens across the globe. It happens by you. It happens by me. It happens in, in England. I was just talking to a bunch of CEOs in England. They're like the same thing happens in England. So, so now you got this multiple people back and forth. And then you said, oh, and then I got to go to some other person. They're going to, that other person's going to try to upsell me some things, right. To add on to the sale. So now how long does this take? too long, but it takes uh, two hours, I'm going to say at least. It takes hours. There was, a, there was a woman in the audience I had one day. She said, well, it takes like two days. I'm like, it takes two days. She goes, yeah, because then, you know, you got to negotiate and then you got to walk out and you got to like be like, I'm leaving and this isn't the right price. And I got to come back the next day. I'm like, wow, that's really long. <laughs> but people say it can take two hours, three hours, four hours, half yeah. the day, too long. We agree. So insights. So we're trying to talk about insights, right? Yeah. I don't like to have to negotiate. I'm concerned I'm not getting the best price. 
insights. I don't want to have to talk to multiple people in the process. I got to talk to one person, next person, next person, next person. Insights, it takes a long time, way longer than it should need to. And almost every car dealer across the globe, this is their sales process. And we as customers don't like it. We don't yeah. like it. I mean, right? Insights. Now, the key about insights is that if you get deep enough, good enough, rich enough insights, the innovations in your business, the messages for your business, the things that you should change or do differently in your business, hopefully should become self-evident. Could we right now create a better experience in an auto uh, sales process? Absolutely, yeah. we could. We, we, only, we only just started with three insights. When I work with companies, we'll end up with 50, 60, 70 insights about their customers, about deep-seated what's going on. And then we pick out those that we are going to be the best at solving using who we are, our processes, our products, our materials, our, whatever we do, how do we deliver on those insights? And, and Jerry, everything you're talking about erodes trust. And it, and it makes a dealership a commodity. And I, I don't, it doesn't matter if I buy my next vehicle from the same spot, the same city, that doesn't matter to me at all. Even the same brand might not matter. Brand might be a little bit stronger. Yep. Uh, and and uh, there's even some, there's been some evidence and some examples of car dealerships uh, getting away from that model in the States. There's been some examples of law firms and accounting firms getting away from billable hours because mm -hmm. it, 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 not only does it deflate, demoralize and uh, and overwhelm the lawyers and accountants over time there's some research on that but it erodes trust from your customer and they think that every time you call them you're up to something what do you really want you don't want you don't have my best interest at heart you're just looking for a billable hour jerry yep so, so that's interesting so when we get to the because section i'll give you a case study about a car dealer that does something different here in the states and i'll tell you yeah. how successful they have become using Simple insights that we all know. Yeah. And Jerry, how do you know that the insights are the right ones? Like I, I, it is hard sometimes to get behind the wheel of the customer and know that you, you know exactly how they're feeling. You're not just making some assumptions and you've got some blind spots. Yep. I've got a few uh, thoughts on that. I've worked on gathering insights from everything from, like I said, manufacturing, mold makers, uh, chemical processing, carpet making, to, you know, uh, auto repair to, I mean, you name it. Yeah. Many of your insights initially, when I do the process, come from your front lines. Your frontline people that interface with your customers the most, they have a pretty good sense of it. I mean, I do a lot of work in the HVAC, plumbing, roofing spaces. They yeah. know. They yep. know. I mean, heck, to some degree, we even know. Well, I do this funny exercise when I'm in small groups of CEOs where I'll have one volunteer write down, with all, everyone will write down all their insights from their own customers. And then I'll take a volunteer and all the other CEOs or executives in the room try to contribute, even though they may or may not be their customer. They might be in a completely different industry. Yeah. I have them all try to contribute and we'll like double or triple the size of the list of insights just from the brains of smart people. Now, you say, well, how do I know those are right? Well, your front lines should have a good sense of it. Before I go into a company, I have them go talk to their customers and ask them questions, purposefully ask questions. When I was at Procter & Gamble, one of the things that we learned, Procter & Gamble is famous for doing huge, large-based surveys. They're famous really for doing these focus groups, which can have group think, and you put eight or 10 or 12 or whatever people in the room, and you have a moderator, and you kind of, you don't go that deep. What P&G found was that when they did deep 
dive one-on-one -on -one interviews with customers, whether it's diapers or food customers for Pringles or, you know, what, you know, or soap, you know, customers or Tide laundry detergent customers. When you go deep, 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 we would do one hour, two hour, three hours, sometimes four hour deep dive one-on-one -on -one interviews with these customers. And you, anyone can do this. You guys all have customers. You can go talk to them, schedule some time with them, get them on your board of customer advisors, whatever you want to do. Be purposeful about what you're trying to learn. Don't waste their time, but ask them deep questions about their decision process, what they like, don't like, what they hope for, what they fear, what their frustrations are with competitors, why they came to you, or ideally, why they left you. If you just lost a good customer, go find them. That's where your best insights will come from because someone's doing something you're not doing or you are doing something wrong. So deep dive one-on-one, -on -one, your front lines. Um, and then when you want to, when I brainstorm 60 or 70 of them, we narrow the focus through a voting exercise to six, eight, 10. Yeah. Then we go out and take them back to customers and say, if you were to talk about these, which, where do these land for you? Because the customers always have the answers. They do, and you just have to ask them in the right way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's great advice. And uh, Darren, I was laughing because Darren uh, put in the chat line that he's already taken two pages of notes, <laughs> which is because I'm I'm scribbling along here, Jerry, right there with it with them. And I, right. I want to remind people that if they have questions of you, there's two ways they can get those two. Well, there's three ways actually, but put them in the Q and A box. We'll get to some questions a little bit later in the hour. And then uh, we do have a few spots left in Unleashed Overtime. It's a private 30-minute session for 12 people from 11.05 Mountain to 11.35. So there's a few people. Nicole will get you signed up if you want to grab those last few spots of overtime. There's an HVAC company joining us for that too, Jerry. So you know you're Nice. So, yeah. My people. Awesome. My people. That's right. That's right. So, okay. So we, uh, so we get some insights and then we have to sort of move now into the next part, which is outcomes. Tell us about outcomes. So, so many times in business we want to talk about ourselves. Oh, let me tell you about my business. Let me tell you about my product. Let me tell you about what we do. And what your customers care about way more than they care about what you do is what you do for them. What's the outcome for them? What's in it for me? And so, you know, this is just going to be a silly example, but the age old marketing question is this, who wants to buy a drill bit? And the answer, the age old marketing answer, to the age old marketing question is nobody wants to buy a drill bit. They want to buy a hole, right? They want to buy the outcome of the drill bit. They don't want to buy the tool. They want to buy the outcome. I told this to a friend of mine one day in my presentation and she said, Jerry, um, I, I don't get it. I'm like, no, it's not about the, the tool. It's about the outcome. And she goes, I, I don't want to buy a drill bit or a hole. I want to buy like my shelf on the wall with all my books on it. I want to buy the end game. I want to buy my beautiful life, what it's going to look like later. And here's where we can talk about your why. I mean, Simon Sinek became exceedingly famous. Yeah. Talking about the inspiration behind why you do what you do. Now, Simon comes from the HR background. He inspires employees to be at their best. That's what he does. And what has happened is people took this one word example, we got to find our why, and they started to apply it, try to apply it to the sales side of the business, which is not really where it's meant to be used. It's an inspiration side, but we do, why do we do HVAC? Because we want to heat people's homes, keep you warm in the winter. It's very emotional. But when I'm in their home and I'm up against two other contractors and I'm trying to close the sale for my business versus theirs, 
They don't care why you're in HVAC sales. They care what are you going to do for me and how do I know I'm getting the best service, the best quality, the best deal. How do I trust you? So they don't care about why in that closing the business scenario, they care about what's in it for me. And they care about the proof that you can deliver that. So Jeff, let's roll right into your because, because your outcome and your because are the two parts of this sentence of influence. So I want to I set this up with, with just a real quick example. So uh, there's, a, there's a woman, a professor in the 1980s, famous professor, and she's the first ever female tenured professor at Harvard. She's a sociologist who showed how, people, how we get people to say yes to this versus that. And here's her, her original landmark study. Some people may have heard of this. So her name's Ellen Langer, first ever female tenured professor at Harvard. There's a Xerox machine back in the 80s in the library at the university. And there's always a lineup of people waiting to use the Xerox machine. So she was like, I wonder how we can influence people to cut in front of the line of the Xerox machine by saying different things. So she would have a student walk up and cut in front of the line by saying first, she said, go up and say this. Excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? Fair enough. 60% of the time they get the student to cut in front of the line. Now that's our benchmark. We just asked and to be nice. Now, maybe in Canada, you might have 80% because you're nicer, but, but, but people like cut in front of the line 60%. That's our benchmark. Yeah. Now she said, okay, walk up and insert the word because. Now remember a rational reason to make an emotional decision, insert a reason. We're all looking for a reason to finish this sentence. So she had the student walk up and cut in front and say this, uh, excuse me, may I use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush. That got 94% of the time people cut in front of the line. Now, because I'm in a rush, we gave them a good reason. Oh, sure, sure, sure. We all wanna be helpful because we got a reason, no problem. We all wanna say yes, but we want a reason to yep. say yes. Yeah. Then she said, well, what if we just said something nonsensical, what would happen? So she had a student walk up and say, uh, excuse me, uh, may I cut in front of the line uh, because I need to make copies, which is just nonsensical, right? 93% of the time they let the people cut in front of the line. Now, why does this happen? Our brains are looking to finish the sentence of influence. Oh, you got to buy from us because. Let me cut in front of the line because. Now, that's a super simple, simple example. Yeah. So the problem is, is that our businesses aren't simple. You can't just use a simple mind exercise and just say anything. Your because has to be that rational, logical proof of what you do differently than they do. Our brains need a rational reason to make the emotional decisions. Our brains need the finishing of the sentence. So let's continue talking about this car dealer example. Yeah. There's a car dealer in Denver and you can look up their website. It's called Shomp. I think it's S-C-H-O-M-P, Shomp BMW. Shomp BMW sells more BMWs than any BMW dealer west of the Mississippi. Shomp is an hour away, hour 15 away from Colorado Springs. It's located in Denver. Shomp sells more BMWs to people who live in Colorado Springs 
than the dealer that's located in Colorado Springs. People will drive an hour and 15 minutes to go to Shump instead of their local dealer. Why? They made a promise. About a decade ago, they made a promise. They changed their business model. And if you go to their website today, it says they focus on one thing. One price, one person, one hour. Remember our insights, Jeff? That is awesome. I wow. don't want to negotiate on price. I'm scared I'm not getting the price. I don't want to deal with multiple people and have to and be, have the run around, the run around. And uh, I don't want it to take all day. They make a simple promise on their website. One price, one person, one hour. And they're uh, wildly successful. So I asked the ownership group, I said, how much of your success in the last decade or whatever it's been has been because of your, your change of your business model, one price, one person, one hour. And they looked at me and they said, well, all of it, all of it. They're like, it's no, it's no secret. This is what we do. And they said, you know what? Other dealers don't do it. Now I want your, your viewers to think about this. What can you do that your competitors either won't do, can't do, or don't know how to do? Do something that's hard to do. Now, why wouldn't other dealers move to this? Well, if you think about it from the business model standpoint, the day that you move to one price, one person, one hour, something dramatic happens in your business. Your gross margins shrink dramatically because they make all the profit on the selling, the selling, the negotiation, the back and forth, trying to get you to spend a little more, trying to make the pricing unclear, trying to get you. That's where they make the money. So when shop moved to it, their gross margins tank, but they believed that they were going to sell more cars to more people and they were going to increase their trust. So it's hard when to move to something. So think about uh, what can you do that's hard for people to copy, that's uncomfortable for them to copy, that will kind of wreck their business model. Their business model is fine now because they have a high level of trust. They have a high level of customer satisfaction. They sell and, and now they're buying other car brands. They've got Shomp Honda. They've got Shomp in multiple cities now. They've got uh, operations in Salt Lake City. They've got Shomp. I don't know what all their brands are. You can look, but yeah. wildly successful. All of them with the same model based on insights and changing the model based on what people want from them. And that's, oh, so now look at what they did. They created a powerful because. Because. Yeah. You can buy it in one hour because you can buy it from one person because you can buy it for one price, no negotiation. And the owner, one of the owner, guys in the ownership group laughed. He goes, it's really funny because your friends and family want to say, Hey, can I get, can you get me a good deal on a car? Sure. Yeah. It's just one price for everybody. I don't care if you know me, don't know me. I don't care if you're in the family out of there. It's just one price. It's that price. There's no other price. There's no internet price and there's no coming in the price. There's no, no, it's just one price. Take it, take it. You take it or you don't. And do they have to be the cheapest? They don't have to be the cheapest. I just know that I know what I'm looking at and I know it's a price and my guy down the street is going to get the same price, same car if yeah. I go to shop. And then, Jerry, the question that you asked is one of the most profound marketing customer relations type questions I, that I think I've, that I've ever heard around, you know, what could you, what are your, what's your competition unwilling to do, incapable of do, to do, what did, what would they not know how to do? Yep. If your if your company could answer thoughtfully those question that question, I can't see how anyone wouldn't grow. 
Yep. Let me even take that to the next level. I'll give you the power question that I work with on my clients. And not everyone can, can have an answer to this one. Yeah. But if you can, it even takes it to the next level. What could you say, we are the only plumber. We're the only car dealer. We're the only in the industry that does what? Now, you're only has to be something that is also valuable to your customers. Yeah. What could you be the only one who does that's also valuable to the customers? Do we have a quick minute for me to tell a story about this one? Absolutely. So I'm in a group of 100 plumbers one day, and we're doing a because brainstorming for all these plumbers. They're all sitting around tables. They're all competitors, but it's a national event, so they're not all in the same market, right? So they don't all know each other. And talk about a competitive, crowded industry, right? I mean, some of these, you know, it's, it's tough. And it's a lot about referrals. Now, let's, I'm going to take one break for one second. Do we all right now know how to refer Shop BMW to someone else? Oh, you got to go to Shop because one price, because one person, because one hour. We know, the reason we don't get as many referrals as we want is yeah. because we've made it too hard to know what to say. Yeah. Shop, easy. I know exactly why I'm going there. Oh, you go there, same price. Same price that their family buys it from. It's one wow. price, right? I'm in this group with this plum, these plumbers. And we're talking about becauses. And one plumber stands up. He goes, oh, I got a great because. I got a, and they're all brainstorming their becauses. I got a great because. And he goes, we're already doing it. I said, what is it? He said, you know how most plumbers have like that four-hour window? You don't know when they're going to show up. I said, yeah, great insight. Do we like, Jeff, do we like the window? We don't like the window. We don't like not knowing when the plumber's going to show up. Nobody likes it. I got to take a half a day off work to wait for the cable person, the plumber, the HVAC installer. We don't like that, turns out. Because our time is valuable. I, my time is important. Yeah. You're sitting there doing the math. You're like, is my time more important than the plumber's time? I guess not, because I got to wait four hours. So this guy stands up. He goes, we don't have a four-hour window. We have a two-hour window. And I'm like, oh, okay, good, 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 good brainstorming. Another plumber stands up. He says, Jerry, we don't have a window. And this other plumber goes, what do you mean you don't have a window? How does that work? And the plumber that stood up said, we don't have a window. We tell you we're going to show up at 9 o'clock. We show up at 9 o'clock. And the other plumber's like, what? How do you do that? He goes, well, it wasn't easy, but now we, and so I said, well, tell me more. What happens if you say you're going to show up at nine and you don't show up at nine o'clock? He goes, we give you 50 bucks. Okay. We got some commitment here, right? I said, well, how long have you been doing this? And he said, we've been doing it for about two years. I said, when you switched to this, what happened? He goes, oh, it was a mess. We're a disaster. Oh, but you know what? Customers really responded to it. Customers really liked it. And the other plumber standing up goes, well, I'm not doing that. I said, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I, so I go back to the guy who's doing the no windows. I said, How, how's it yeah. going today? He goes, we're pretty good. We're pretty yeah. good at hitting on the time when we need to. Yeah. He said, it's not the most efficient business model. I said, how's your pricing? He goes, oh, people don't mind about what we price. We don't have pushback on pricing yeah. because we value your time. Now we're not right, remember Jeff? We're not right for everybody. We're yes. right for those people. We narrowed our focus to only people that care greatly about their time. Are they willing to pay a little bit more and not worry about pricing? When the plumber shows up, when he says he's gonna show up, he goes, yeah, no problem. We don't have a problem with pricing. And yep. our phones are ringing off the hooks. You know why? Because 
everyone can give them a referral. Oh, you got to go to these people. They don't have a window. Yeah, they show up and they say they're going to show up or they give you 50 bucks. We can all repeat that right now. And other plumbers are unwilling to do it because it's going to break their business model. Yeah. I was just with a big HVAC, pro arguably probably the biggest HVAC plumbing uh, company in Denver, Colorado this week, uh, uh, talking to their CEO. And uh, I told him this and he was like, mm, I don't think we're going to do that. I'm like, exactly. But they have their own strategy that we're working on that is appropriate for their people, their techs, their company. There's not one answer, but it's an example of a simple, powerful because yeah. that other people won't do. <laughs> And their business is thriving because of it. Yeah. It's not the answer for everybody, but they like it just fine for their because. Powerful stories. Uh, and I, it seems like a good point, Jason. I want to remind people uh, to fill out the feedback form at the end of the show because we're giving away a $50 shop local gift card. So you win the gift card, you pick whatever local vendor, wherever you are in the world that you want to spend that 50 bucks at to support for people during this time. Uh, Jerry, a couple uh, quick hitter questions uh, from the audience today. So uh, uh, Nolan Hayde from Carl Hager, Lim Embrace, uh, they're starting to work on a complete website design. What are some of the must haves and some of the not haves? Yeah, so here's what you want to do from a website design. I mean, the framework that you learned today should inform everything you do from your website to, uh, let's say, a brochure or to how you sell. Your one-on-one -on -one sales flow and process, it will even work for long, complicated sales cycles that go through multiple people through <clears> purchasing <throat> and, and, and finance, CFO and operations and CEO. It'll, it, no matter what your sales process is, it'll work. So you, as you think about your website, what I want you to think about is where does your website sit in your normal uh, sales flow? When and why do people visit your website? What are they looking for when they get there? Are they looking for validation? Are they looking for more background information? Are they looking for your because? Are they looking, what are they doing when they get there? Yeah. Now this is important. When you're creating your website, be purposeful about what you believe they're doing or what you want them to do and create yourself an order of communication priority. What do you want them to see and do first, second, third, fourth? And make sure that you tell your web developer the strategy of between one, two, three, four, we want them to see and do these things in this order. Otherwise, they're just gonna develop something that's pretty, but that isn't what you're using your website for. Figure out what are you using it for, What's the flow and the order of priority? And then how do you get the, the viewers to do what you want them to do to close the sale or what they want to do if they're looking for a piece of information, make it easy to find. Yeah, good advice, Jerry. And I, it didn't come through the Q&A. I saw it pop up on the chat, but uh, as, we were, as we were talking about you know, the, the because uh, and the car dealership, David had, had posted a question of, it seems so easy to copy. Why do, why do competitors not just rubber stamp and template what the, what the successful competitor is doing. Well, and it depends on your industry because there are industries where things, every innovation gets copied overnight. There, yeah. there just are. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not promising that this process is easy, but I'll, I'll give you just a real quick example. So I used to be the brand manager of Coors Light. So many of you have probably seen some of the work that I've done. Well, uh, light beer, Coors Light, Bud Light, Miller Light, you know, all the light beers, including, you know, 
they're commodities. It's all about the marketing. And we were doing rah, rah, party, 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 marketing, advertising. And it wasn't selling any extra Coors Light. It was selling the idea of party with beer. But yeah. my job is to sell Coors Light. We decided that we were going to be the beer that makes your beer colder and more refreshing. Well, what a, we knew the insights was right. That's what guys want. Young guys are our target, 21 to 24-year-old guys, target for light beer. Yeah. Well, why would they believe you? What's your because? What's your proof that your beer is colder and more refreshing? And we came out with innovation after innovation after innovation that proved, that gave you a because. We first turned the liner inside the can blue. We called it the frost brew liner can. Turns out every aluminum can ever made had a <laughs> liner inside of it. We just turned ours blue. They're all clear. Every aluminum can has one. No one knew it was there. We turned ours blue and people said, oh, it keeps my beer colder and more refreshing. Yeah. Then we came out with a cooler box. Essentially, it's a, an 18 pack plastic bottles with a blue garbage bag in it. So you can put ice in the box, right? Cooler box. I mean, come on, they're 21 year old dudes. Work with me here. And then- I Remember what up. it was like to, I coveted that. I, you know, I, yeah, I was, I yeah. was one of those disciples. In, insight, how do we keep the beer colder and more refreshing? Put a liner in the box, right? And then we came out with the one that may, many of you have seen, the bottle that turns blue when it's cold enough to drink, right? It turns blue when it's ice cold. Gives you more, now think about this from an all business standpoint. What can you tell your customers? What information can you give them when they need it? We, is it valuable to know when your beer turns blue? Right now, could any other beer have turned their liner a different color? Sure, they could have. But what we did is we said, we stand for colder and more refreshing. That's everything that we do. And we innovated, innovated, innovated behind one idea. Yeah. Liner blue, box with plastic bottles that you can put ice in. Bottle turns blue when it's cold enough to drink. Could they have copied it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can people copy your stuff? Potentially. But you need to use this framework over and over and over every year. Big brands every year go through this process over and over because innovation will eventually come out. And if somebody copies it, you got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. You, and it, there's nothing easy about it. Now, generally, what I find when I work with companies is they have blue liners in their company already. They have becauses yeah. in their company already many times it's their best kept secret they have processes or things that they do or materials they use or something they do within there or they have uh, amazing beautiful amazing clients one day i'm like brainstorming with somebody and he goes well you know one thing that's unique about us is we build all the mcdonald's restaurants in blah 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 region and i'm like do you tell anybody that <laughs> like yeah. if you're good enough for mcdonald's you're probably good enough for me because they have high standards and blah blah what's your piece of proof that makes me certain you're a good choice so it's not easy for everybody. Yeah. And it is, the key is that use it again and again, teach it to your team, work with this process uh, because the results can be amazing if you can figure it out over time. Yeah, powerful stuff, Jerry. And uh, I, have, I have pages of notes and I have pages of questions that I didn't have prepared that you have just, you've lit my brain on fire. And I, and I think that you've lit the brain up of the audience today. Uh, and I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you do for you have spent so much time on covering the insights of how we grow our companies and for you to come on the show today and share them with our audience. I just, I couldn't be more grateful. So Jerry, thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
and uh, and to everybody joining us today, whether you're a loyal uh, a loyal viewer or a first time uh, a first time guest, uh, we've got a season that's packed with phenomenal speakers. We've got seven more episodes left in season two. We're going all the way to December third, and uh, I want to let you know how to stay connected with us. So uh, so the first way is we want you to connect with Jerry, and you can find him on Twitter at Jerry O'Brien. Go to his website; it's a great resource hub at uh, www.whatbigbrandsknow.com. And then if you have questions that we couldn't get to, send them to us, please, because we look at all of them and we will send your questions on to Jerry. If you have some that you didn't get a chance to get answered live on air, send those to uh, info at unleashedresults.com. And then today's recording, so you can send it to everybody in your company so that you don't have to regurgitate it poorly, get it right from Jerry's lips. Go to unleashedresults.com backslash blog, uh, the article, the summary, and the YouTube clip will be available uh, by tomorrow morning. And the, the gift card. So if you fill out the feedback form, just click the continue button when you leave uh, to end the show. It'll take you right to the feedback form with some special offers. And just for filling out the feedback form and giving us your thoughts on today's episode, what we could change and add and do more and do differently, uh, we look at all of those as well. We're going to give one lucky uh, viewer a $50 gift card. You can spend it at your favorite local shop let's compete against those big brands let's spend the money at the small local shops that have their own unique because even if they're not telling you and uh, and the other part i want to let you know is uh, we're excited to announce on october 29th we are doing a cyber event a half day event with sarah Noel wilson who was one of our top rated speakers in season one and it's just so important right now that we are equipping leaders in our businesses at all levels with capabilities and skill sets to manage their teams through adversity and through change and that's always been a constant, but it's just even more prevalent now as we're going through a pandemic. So we're gonna give you some tools and some stories and some insights on how to equip you, not only yourself, but anyone that's a leader in your company, how to do a better job at getting the best out of their team, okay? And then next week, uh, a very interesting and very, very special, important episode. We are uh, so lucky to be joined by Dr. Tina Opie from Babson College in Boston. She is an expert on diversity and inclusion, and boy, is that uh, a topic that is as important and as relevant as ever. And we're gonna be talking about shared sisterhood and allyship across differences. So learn how to assess your inclusion and equity practices for yourself, for your friends, for your community, for your business. How do you actually develop a strategy that will work for inclusion and diversity for your business so you're not stepping on landmines all over the place? And then how do you leverage diversity within your team for growth? So there's a, there's a human aspect to next week's show and there is absolutely a business case for that. So I hope to join us and invite, uh, invite your team and other members of your community to join us. It's been a pleasure. Jerry, uh, fastest hour on the internet, I swear. Uh, love chatting with you today. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to doing this again someday. My pleasure. Take care, everybody.